Well, I was mentioning in uh, communion about David and the fact that, that he was a worshiper of God. And that's really one of the things we think of David and one of the things that sets him apart um, from the other kings and really anyone else in Scripture is, is his, that, that role we see as a worshiper of God and worshiping and sitting before the, the ark. I mean, he did something, or I, we should say God allowed him to do something that no one else except the high priest could do. And that's because he's a picture of someone coming into the presence of God and worshiping and presenting himself and offering the sacrifice of praise and worship. In the Old Testament, only the high priest could do that with only with blood and probably a little trembling. <laughs> he, was, he was probably a little nervous going into the presence of God because a lot of people have been struck dead by not reverencing the holy presence of God. But yet here David comes, you know, he comes in holiness, but he comes in worship because he's a picture of a New Testament saint, that, that that's our calling is to come into the presence of God. And we don't have to, well, we do tremble in the sense we have the fear of the Lord, but yet we don't fear him because he's our Abba Father. And as long as we're following him and obeying him, we can enjoy his presence and be changed in his presence. And so David had a heart for worshiping the Lord you know, we see this reflected in, in his story that we read in, in First and Second Samuel about how he just worshiped God in, in situation after situation and as well as in the Psalms, right? We see his heart of worship in the Psalms and him pouring out his heart and so forth. But um, I think we can really, we can look at David as being at a different level of worship. He was at a different level, as I mentioned, of, of anyone else in in the Old Testament because he's that type of New Testament worship, a pattern of worship that God gave to us to follow in our lives. You know, he established his tabernacle. We refer to it as the tabernacle of David. It was just a tent in God's holy mountain and the ark was in there and David was able to come and just worship before the presence of God. Um, of course, he said he trans. God gave him standards that he transmitted to us, and in, in Psalm 15 and Psalm 24, of who is who who is able to ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in His presence, and then sit and dwell in the holy place. But yet, it was that invitation to worship in the presence of God that sets David apart. And so he he established and he he basically set up and organized a system of worship a pattern. He, he organized the priests to come and to sing songs. And he wrote some of the songs and he even created the instruments. I mean, he was like a, a one-man band in that sense, but, but God created him in that way and gave him the gifts and the abilities because he is a role model for us of what it means to be a worshiper of the living God. And those priests would come in and just worship at all hours, it's like he just wanted the worship of God to continue around the clock, or you could, you could think think of that happening. And, uh, and in fact, it says in this in Second Chronicles twenty nine twenty seven, uh, this verse is happening later on in Hezekiah's time. But this is what he said when Hezekiah was restoring the worship of God. It says, you know, it, it says Hezekiah restored the offerings in the temple. It says also the song of the Lord. Hezekiah, 
They had lost something in their day and he needed it restored. And what was it? The song of the Lord. That's, that really represents the tabernacle of David. It's the song of the Lord being in the midst of his people. With the trumpets and the instruments, that was ordained by David, king in Israel. David ordained the song of the Lord. And that's what God has ordained for his church, that we're to flow in the song of the Lord. And so David established the pattern in worship, the instruments and the order and the groups that would be continually worshiping and before the throne of God. And, and so this tells us something is that there's a pattern and an order to God's holy worship, what he really desires us to be as worshipers uh, of what is pleasing to God. And, and if, there's, if there's a pattern in order to be pleasing to God, then there's a way we could be out of order in our worship and pleasing to God. And so we want to, as the people of God, as his church, see, Lord, what is pleasing to you? I want to follow the pattern that's given to us through David because that was given by God for his church. So we look to David and his tabernacle, and we do that specifically because God kind of told us to both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, the prophet uh, Amos talked about the tabernacle of David being risen up again. And then it was quoted by James, the apostle, the brother of Jesus. And James said this in, in Acts 15, 16. He said, after this, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which at that point was fallen down. They lost the worship of God through their ungodliness and allowing the enemy to come in and to destroy the temple. You know, that's what happens when wrong worship comes in, the temple and the presence of God is destroyed. But when true worship is protected and maintained, the presence of God is there and there's protection against the enemy. And wait, where did I just leave off? Okay, it was falling down. All right, and, and it says, I will build again the ruins and I'll set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, says the Lord, who does all these things. Isn't that interesting? The tabernacle of David is tied to all the Gentiles calling upon God. Worshiping God in his divine order is important because it brings us. I'm a Gentile. Right? So, but in one sense, in the New Testament, we're all you know, coming unto God as individuals and we have to follow his order and align with his pattern of worship to meet with him through David's tabernacle. And so to experience his presence, the song of the Lord, to offer sacrifices of praise and worship before God's heavenly altar, we have to follow his divine order. But there, there's something significant we can understand in this as well is that um, is. David's order of worship, in reality, that profoundly affected the next phase of God's, uh, you could say, dwelling among his people, which was the temple. You know, Solomon didn't recreate his own order. He used David's order of worship. He used David's pattern. And so there's that, that thought as really David's order ushers in the worship of the temple, it was, it was what God gave to David that was used in the temple. And so God wants us as a church and individuals 
to enter into and experience the pattern of worship that was given to David, you know, and and that and it's a really profound that we can enter into a worship that will carry over into the next age. That there is a worship that is going to be so wonderful and powerful that it is going to be the pattern for what takes place in the next age, but God wants us to enter into it now in this age. I firmly believe that we are going to, is that we can expect to see as a part of the next revival and the last day revival to be in worship. It's going to be a restoration of David's tabernacle to the fullest extent of pure worship, of holy worship. I fully believe that church, there's going to be churches who, when they flow in what God is doing in the last days and, and the purity of, of worship and, and, and the pattern that David set, that they're going to have, maybe they'll have a lot 24-hour prayer meetings, but there will also be 24-hour worship where people just come into the presence of God because they're set up that way. It's, it's like kind of like the, the divine fire was maintained in the tabernacle and the temple well, it's going to be maintained through worship, that there will be just worship happening all, all hours of the day to maintain the presence of God because that's the pattern. Now, it's not that we need to have 24-hour worship services here in our church, but when God appoints that, he'll praise God, that's going to be awesome because his presence will be there 24 hours a day. If he's here, we'll do it <laughs> as God gives us grace. But I long to enter into that, into the fullness of, of David's tabernacle. It's still being restored. We need it to be restored even more because we see a lot that's not according to the pattern taking place. And so that makes us cry out, Lord, make me ready. Prepare me. Prepare us. Prepare our church. Help us to, to, to flow according to your pattern of worship so that we can worship, be worshipers like David, to worship in spirit and in truth and flow with what he wants to do in the last days. That was a long introduction on David worshiping. And, and I, I'm not going to touch on a, a ton of stuff, but I just want to look at, at some aspects from David's life to show how he was a worshiper, how he was able to worship God. And, and really it defined his life and who he was. Now, the first thing we kind of think about in his life was him as a young shepherd boy, you know, being with the sheep. And if, you know, you're a shepherd with the sheep, one thing you have is a lot of time because those sheep spend a lot of time just eating, sleeping, (laughs) finding a drink, laying down, eating. You know, it's a lot of repetition and you got a lot of time on your hands. And one thing we know is that David was good with a harp. He was good with singing. He was anointed. And it doesn't expressly say this um, in, in the scripture, but we can infer that David, because he was really good on the harp, because Saul appointed him as the one to play and bring the anointed music so that it would drive away the evil spirit that was upon him through his disobedience. And so David must have had a lot of practice playing his harp, worshiping God, flowing in the spirit, and so he was known as a young man who was anointed in worship and in playing. And actually, we can include that verse in 1 Samuel 16, 23. It came to pass when an evil spirit from God was upon Saul, David, he took his harp and he played, and Saul was refreshed. I thought that was a really neat phrase. 
Saul was refreshed and the evil spirit departed from him. You know, that's a picture of true worship. True, you know, we can go through all sorts of evil <laughs> during the week and oppression, but it sure is refreshing to come into worship and the presence of God. It just washes away the effects of the enemy. The thing is, is we don't have to wait for Sunday or Wednesday night or whenever we have our worship, is that we can worship God in our houses. We can worship God, you know, in the car, on the way to somewhere. We can worship God wherever we are. You know, as, as the Lord said to the woman at the well, there comes a day when it doesn't matter where you are, but we can worship him in spirit and in truth, and he'll be with us. You know, Paul said this, you know, for the practical outworking of how we can be worshipers. He said in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in our hearts, giving thanks always for all things unto God in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul is saying, we like to fill ourselves with things, but don't do it with wine or fill in the blank, right? Of whatever it is, uh, sports, accumulating things, right? To, to be this, the true satisfaction in our life. We can do those things, but we want to make sure they're not our satisfaction in life. And the key phrase is in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, I, David was in an unusual time. I mean, the the Holy Spirit wasn't released like he is released to us in the New Testament, but I still envision David as a man filled with the Spirit of God, anointed. Well, he was anointed you know, by Samuel, and then he was anointed in Hebron, and then he was anointed in Jerusalem. You know, He was a man who, was, who knew the anointing and knew the Spirit of God, but he also worshiped and sang and opened his heart to God. And so you know, being filled with the Spirit and singing unto God brings life, brings uh, power and strength and confidence and assurance and hope. It brings the ultimate victory as we, do, as we flow in that way with God. Paul said elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 3.17, he said, now where the, where the Lord, now the Lord is that Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. When the Spirit of God is flowing in us and we're singing songs unto Him in our hearts, there is true liberty. Thank God He said in our hearts because it doesn't matter what, it's, what, it's, what we sound like outside. You know, Thank God we don't need an awesome voice or anything to, to, that that affects the level of our worship. No, it's, it's singing unto God in our hearts and allowing the, the Spirit of God to flow in worship that we make avenue for the Spirit of God to flow in us. That brings liberty. And we can kind of see this, this concept as a, looking back in Ephesians 5.19, you know, this practical outworking. We can sing or we can speak to ourselves. Actually, the first thing it says, we can speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, that... The first it says speak, and that word means to utter words. You know, we're not to just hum our praise, but we're to utter words of praise unto God. Declare that he's good. 
and that his mercy endures forever and declare our thankfulness to him. Now, that's a part of worship. Even if we're not singing it, when we're saying, Lord, you're so good, that's worship. We're declaring our worship unto him. You know, when, we're, when we hear some good thing that happens and we, oh God, you're so good, that's worship unto him. It also means to break silence. Sometimes we're silent for too long about how good God is and we have to acknowledge and, and honor him and, and point out how good he is. Um, and the, one of the best ways is through songs of praise and adoration. The second half of that verse, um, it says in, back in Ephesians 5, it, uh, 19, it says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, there's just something about singing in our hearts to the Lord that has such power, that, a lot, that opens the door for the Spirit of God to flow. You know, and, and as I mentioned, we don't just want to reserve Sunday morning for that avenue. Or I can't imagine if we could only take a drink once a week, we'd be very satisfied with that. But Lord, the Lord wants to establish a well of living water, and that well is operated. You, could, you can think of an old-time well with a pulley, and you'd pull that water up. That's, that's the worship of God. The worship of God causes our water to arise up, and we're refreshed as Saul was refreshed. And if Saul, who was wicked, was refreshed, how much more will we, the people of God, be refreshed as we open the door for worship of our king. And so we see even at a young age, David was a worshiper. And then later on, we see, you know, David dancing before the Lord as he brings in the ark. And that's a physical expression. You know, we dance before the Lord this morning and we want to give that, that ability to express ourselves in worshiping and praising God. You know, the world despises that. That's the spirit of this age. And Michael, uh, David's wife despised David as he expressed that form of worship to God. You know, the spirit of this world is going to despise our worship. But David said, you know, in, in 2 Samuel 6, 21, he said, God chose me to rule over Israel. Therefore, I will play before the Lord. And then he says, and I want to read this next verse from the ISV version. I, I kind of like how it says it. And he says, I'm going to act... In verse 22, he says, I'm going to act more shamelessly than this, even to humbling myself in my own eyes. And as of those uh, women who you thought had spoken, uh, who would speak negatively of me, no, they'll speak of honor. I like how it says, I'm going to be more shameless than this. Like David was saying, I'm not going to have any shame over worshiping and praising God. I'm going to humble myself in my own eyes and I'm going to look to God because he's great. That was his mentality. And that's how he overcame the shame of, of the, the way of the world. He said, well, I, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to, if the world says I'm, I'm shameful, then I'll embrace it and I'll humble myself in the eyes of God because I'm lifting up his name. And he made that choice day after day, to lift up the name of the Lord, to worship God with abandon. And then there were other times that David responded to God by great rejoicing. And then there were different times where other instances where 
he had a great heart of worship, but it came at a cost where worshiping God was expensive in the form of difficult. I was thinking of that time at, at Ziklag. Ziklag was in the south of Judah, and it was the one place he found in his, in his flee, time of fleeing from Saul where he actually had peace. And it, he put his, his wives and his children were there. They had a safe place, and he went out and, and went against the enemies of the Lord. And uh, I think it was a time of peace, and his men finally kind of said, oh, man, we can be at rest for a little bit. Until one day they came back, and the enemy had come through. The Amalekites had come through, and they had burned the city, and they'd taken all the wives and children of the men, including David's and all his men. And everything was gone. And it says this in, in 1 Samuel 6, 30 and verse 6. It says, and David was greatly distressed, and also the people. And why, why do we know the people were distressed? Because it says they, they talked to stoning him because they were so sorry. The soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord as God. And we can only understand this to be that David turned his eyes to the Lord and he started to express, or maybe he poured out his heart first and said, Lord, oh, this terrible thing has happened to us. But at some point, he had to, to express, Lord, but you're my deliverer, but you're my hope. You're my rock and my fortress, as he had come to know him all throughout that time in the wilderness. And he looked to him and, and encouraged himself in worshiping God. And really, when we're the only way to really encourage ourselves is not to think about ourselves. That's discouraging. The way to encourage ourselves is to think about God and how great he is. Because when our eyes are on ourselves and our situation and our abilities, we will just go down because we have no ability. But when they're on God, we'll be lifted up because he is in heavenly places and he can lift us up to sit with him in heavenly places or at least give us a fresh perspective. And so then David sent for Abiathar the priest and he got the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord was go and pursue them and you'll recover everything. And so one of the key lessons here we learn with David is that worship opens the door to victory. It opens the door to liberty. He experienced this again and again in his life. It happened to him in the wilderness when he was captured in prison uh, by the Philistines and in, the, in battle where he looked to the Lord and God gave him victory because he had a heart of worship towards him. Of course, one of the premier examples is found in, uh, in the New Testament with Paul and Silas. All right? We remember them. They're just doing what God told them to do, go out throughout the cities and preach the gospel. And they might have you know, some opposition, but they, boy, they had some real opposition. They were beaten and thrown into jail. And at the darkness of midnight, that was an opportunity. We think about what was the opportunity? It was the opportunity for them to say, woe is me. Lord, I've just been serving you and I didn't do anything wrong. I've been obeying you and here we are. We got beat up for obeying you. But that wasn't the outlook they chose to have. They chose to praise God and rejoice at God's goodness, at his mercy, 
at what he could even do through that situation because we know the promise God can turn all situations for good. And so they believed that about their situation. So they began to praise and worship the Lord, just the two of them in that dank, dark prison cell in Acts 16.25. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and they sang praises to God. And it wasn't under their breath. It wasn't quietly. It says the other prisoners heard them singing. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened up and everyone's bands, chains were loosed. And so it was as they sang praises unto God that their prison doors broke open. And, and you know, we read previously in Ephesians 6, that's the real effect and power of worship. When we sing and make melody in our hearts, it brings freedom and release. And we know it was in their hearts. You know, it wasn't in their intellect. It, it's not rational or reasonable to think, well, if I start singing praise songs to God, the prison doors are going to open up. There's nothing rational about that. All right, so it, it wasn't in their intellect. It wasn't in their soul because I doubt they felt like singing. Who of us feels like singing when we've been <laughs> thrown into a dark prison? We've been beaten, probably had stripes laid on them. They had to be washed. We read that in the story afterwards. They didn't feel like, like singing. They didn't feel good. But instead of singing, woe is me, they uttered praise. It was in their heart, in their spirit, we could say. And they opened the door for the Holy Spirit to come, and the Holy Spirit came and moved. And, the, and not just were the doors open, but, but the, the, the jailer's heart was turned, his family was saved, and they were set free. And so when we establish a pattern of worshiping God in our lives, as we see in David's life, and there was many, many aspects to David's life and worship we, we couldn't touch on, uh, but when we make that our pattern, it opens the door to power, to victory, to the Spirit of God coming. I'll just close with one story I thought was, was really neat that uh, Pastor Holmes from the Philippines shared how he was at one of his, the churches he, he ministers at, and, and I think it was in uh, Baguio in the Philippines, and they said they had a, an awesome worship service. It was just like God came there and something new was taking place, and he just sensed that in the Spirit and so he actually said that. He said, you can expect to see visible results because of what took place in our worship service and, and in the, because of this breakthrough in worship that we had. And so you know, I think he went on to minister somewhere else or went back home. But after that, someone from the church went out and witnessed to a man and this man owned many businesses that were contributing to the wickedness in the city. This man got saved. And what he did was he went out and closed all of his businesses and gave glory. He put, he put a sign there and said, this house is closed. Jesus is Lord. And it, and it, it brought a change to that city. But it was through praise and worship. And it was through a corporate, you know, uh, model of praising and worshiping God and allowing his presence to flow. But, you know, it's hard to have the corporate without the individual. 
We want the Holy Spirit to flow in all of our lives, that we're following the pattern of David and responding to him and worshiping him in spirit and in truth so that God can meet us and bring a breakthrough and so that we can even see visible results in our lives and in our homes, in our families, in our churches. And so as we're looking at David as our role model, one of the key areas in his life and one of the things we know him as is as a worshiper of the Lord. And it was an area that made such a difference. It permeated every area of his life and of his ministry. Even when he sinned and he was seeking God, it says, you know, even when he was praying for his, for his child, he received that judgment that his child was going to die. When he heard that the child died, it says he went in and washed himself and then he went in and worshiped. And then he, then he ate and went about his day. But that, that became a part of who he was. He was a worshiper. And that is what made him a, a man after God's own heart. And we can enter into that pattern of singing and making melody unto God and lifting up our voice in thanksgiving and praise unto Him, of responding to God in praise and worship. But in doing so, we can open the door to victory. We can open the door to, to new levels of strength of overcoming, and it will prepare the way for the, the coming of the Lord. And, and I just look forward to that thought that in days to come and, and in the coming revival, I'm looking forward to that revival of worship, of David's tabernacle, of the Spirit of God flowing, of people not wanting to leave His presence so much that there's, there's worship services going on 24-7. I don't know how we'll organize that, but I look forward to that having that challenge because that means the presence of God is there. But we need to prepare our hearts so that we can be worshipers as we see in the pattern that David laid out for us. Father, we just thank you for what you've shown us through David's life and through the New Testament. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, how we live in this age of the tabernacle of David. We live in this age of worship where you desire us to come unto you and to, to, Lord, to sit in your presence, inquire in your temple and to meet with you. And Lord, we just cry out, Lord, that you would bring us into this pattern, even to a greater degree, that we would be worshipers, O God. And Lord, that we could even learn to live in your presence and ascend your holy hill and, and sit in your presence, O God. Oh Lord, just do that in our midst. Lord, make us worshipers. Help us to respond in worship even remind us to, Lord, just to sing in our hearts unto you. Lord, that we can invite your spirit to flow, Lord, even more day by day. And Lord, bring a breakthrough, Lord, in worship. Increase in worship in our, in our church. Lord, increase in worship in our fellowship. Lord, let the worship of your spirit rise up and let there be even a greater, greater breakthrough in the spirit of God flowing in our midst, we ask. And we thank you, Lord. We look to you for it. Oh, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.